Greetings, greetings, greetings on this Monday, marvelous Monday, magnificent Monday, April 3rd, 2023. Going forward, it's going to be Melanated Mondays because over the weekend, I take some time once in a while to watch a good movie when I can find it. Sometimes I take more time finding the movie than actually watching a movie or a series. It doesn't have to be a movie. It could be a series. But when I do, I feel like I want to share it with others because it's not easy finding really, really delicious things to watch. Something you can sink your teeth into, you know? And so the reason I wanted to start doing Melanated Mondays is off of this first movie that I'm going to review. It's called A Boy, A Girl, A Dream, Love on Election Night. It came out in 2018. It's currently on Stars. That's where I found it. Um, it's currently on the Stars uh, streaming platform. And it's just good. And I've never seen the way this particular director used the camera was amazing. The way the story was specifically American, but not centered, like white whiteness was the backdrop. Whiteness and how they operate in the world was the backdrop. Yes, it was definitely there because it was election night. The 2016 presidential election was the backdrop. But what was going on between this man and this woman during that night was how we really rock. It's, it's, it's really good. It stars Omari Hardwick and Megan Good. You know, they are both aesthetically nice to look at. And also, uh, what's his name? Jay Ellis. Very, very nice to look at as well. And other beautiful people in it. Um, but it was just so real, like... Well, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay, so the movie opens up with a black screen and the opening credits, like the names of, I believe it's Datari Turner Productions, and it's a Kwasim Basir film. I believe he's the director as well. And it opens to the black screen and those opening credits and... Um, you can vaguely hear a journalist talking in the background about North Carolina being a Republican state with the exception of 2008 when the state voted for Obama. And the journalist's voice turns into chatter and you can start to hear the more distinct words of Rock, who is played by Jay Ellis, and he's charming the women he plans to bring into the club with him and his boy Cass, who's played by Amari Hardwick. So they're out there on this LA night. It's a little bit chilly and the ladies are dressed for the club. So they have on their little dresses, little black dresses, little, you know, their outfits, their club outfits. So they're talking about um, different things like shallow talk or whatever. And um, Omari Hardwick is part of the conversation, but it's mostly rock that's talking. Jay Ellis, rock. Um, Omari Hardwick is kind of focused on various things. He, you can see he's a thinker, um, but he's also getting election night updates on his phone. And he's like kind of looking down at his phone or whatever. 
Um, Megan Good is also there, but she's not part of the actual group that's getting ready to go to the club. She's just sitting off to the side nearby um, waiting for her order. There's a food truck right there. They're in front of a food truck and she's waiting for her order. So her order is called and Omari Hardwick finally notice, notices her for the first time. Well, Cass, his name is Cass. So Cass um, notices Frida, Megan Good, Frida for the first time. And he's used to being surrounded by gorgeous women all the time. But there was something about her that was different. She had on, she wasn't like dressed up, but she was still pretty. She had on jeans, a little leather jacket, heels, a little short haircut or whatever. She just was different. And she was like not caught up in their conversation. She was distracted like him somewhat. So the ladies are ready to go in, but he wants to try to get um, Megan Good's character to go with them as well. He's a he's a club promoter. The more women you bring in, that's your job, right? So he walks over to her um, where she's at on the side of them nearby, and he introduces himself to her with a what's up, which she returns like another what's up, seemingly unfazed by his very striking good looks. He asks her what where her people is at because she's just out in L.A. eating a sandwich on, you know, it's, it's just a nice L.A. night. And um, she's like, I'm in chill mode. I'm good. So he continues with his introduction by saying he's never seen her before. And she comes back with, you know, all the girls in L.A. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's tearing her sandwich up. Like, she's in front of this gorgeous man busting that sandwich down. So she's clearly comfortable in her skin. And their conversation flows nicely, organically, not shallow fluff, just real intrigue and sparking of the connection that's going on between them. And he's just as confident in his sexy and comes back with something like that. Something like that. I know all the ladies in L.A., you know, something like that. Um, he asks if she's going to the spot. And she's unfazed again, like, I don't do lines. So he lets her know it's not going to be any lines if she chooses to go in with them. But she declines because her and her sandwich are good. <laughs> He's like, all right. And then him and his people um, take the short walk to the club. But on the way, he gets a call from his son's mother saying his little man is upset about something. So... The mom puts their son on the phone, and his son, Rumi, Rumi, R-U-M-I, lets him know he's worried about something um, because mom was screaming at the TV. The little boy is worried about what will happen if Trump becomes president. And it's interesting to watch this movie in 2023 and know all that happened during and after that particular presidency. So the whole time he was um, walking to the club with the beautiful group of women and his extra confident co-promoter, Rock, he kept taking glances back at the woman he just met. But when he got on the phone with his son, he was focused on his son's wellness and grounding his son in the fact that he's safe no matter what happens in the political arena. So he and his son recite positive black man affirmations together before they hang up. He ends the call with the I love you, good night, and Megan Good's character is walking up on the group at that point. 
she changed her mind and decided to join the party people for a little while. He was cool about it, but his pause showed how moved he was by her presence. He asked her about her sandwich and offered her some gum. She gave him the sideways head like, what you trying to say? And they both laughed. And the connection build with them is organic. I like that a lot. I really do. It's not forced. It's really organic. So she takes the gum and you can overhear Jay Ellis's character saying, fuck the election. The dude is not going to win. Trying to get the ladies in the larger group to be focused on the good time they're about to have in the club. They get to the door and they are moved through the line real easy. They get to their VIP table. Bottle girls come through with the sparkly little fire bottles. Megan is vibing on the edge of the VIP area. Now, Cass, everybody seems to know Cass. One woman specifically asks him about the quote-unquote movie, the movie. And he just, like, brushes her off, like, it's in rewrites, yo. And he hugs her, and, like, you know, he's cool about it. But he really, you can tell he don't want to talk about the movie. Megan is watching him, seeing how he moves. Um... It's interesting how low-key she is dressed in comparison to all the other women. Everybody's in really short, tight, revealing dresses. And she's there with her little, like, real casual look. But she there, so, you know. Rock is being extra. He's standing on the furniture, being loud. And um, he reintroduces himself to Megan's character again. He already introduced himself outside, but he's doing it again. And he's telling her to come chill with him and sit next to him. But she declines. And when she declined, she was like, I'm good. Like, she wasn't rude about it. But then he accuses her of acting like she's too good. And the other ladies, which I really liked, came to her defense. And they quickly told him to just be nice, chill. Amari Hardwick, Cass, doesn't even notice all of that going on because he's still distracted by whatever is going on in his mind, as well as the constant election updates that are coming to his phone. So when the bottle girls come through with their energy and the energy of whatever's in those bottles, Cass partakes, but she does not, Free does not. So he notices that she doesn't partake and um, he decides to make his way to her. And the music is loud though. They're in the club, so he has to get kind of close, close enough for her to hear him speak to her. But she backs him up real quick. That is not what she came for. She's letting him know off top, setting boundaries, personal space matters and all that. She gives him another what's up. You kind of close to let him know. And he respectfully backs up a little with a little mischievous smile on his cute face. The connection build is truly organic. I really love that. I like how the director uses the camera in and out and it's like real organic. So Cass apologizes and he recenters himself in a comfortable position right by her side and he lets her know. He's just, you know, making sure she's cool, doing his job. So the conversation continues, but she can barely hear him. And he leans in so she can hear him better. At the same time that he leans in, she turns her head and their lips touch on accident. Yo, you could literally, there was no sparks on the 
in the movie, but you could feel the sparks. The chemistry was lit up at that very point. So she, they both had to pause because they both felt it. And then they just real organic pause. And then she got up like, I'm going to the bathroom. So she makes her way to the bathroom, but the magnetic pull was strong. And he ends up following her. He gives her a little bit of time by herself, but yo, the magnetic strong pulled him in there and he followed her into the bathroom where they began to thoroughly connect all kinds of nonverbal passion, kissing, touching, um, eye contact with the blue club light in the back. I mean, just blue club light, just that subtle blue light, you know, hands and lips and clothed body intertwining everywhere until he tries to unzip, yo, he tries to go too far. And yeah, she, she, she stops him right there and she exits the club. So of course he goes looking for her. Of course. She was out. He tries to ask Rock if he's seen Free, but Rock has no idea who Cass is talking about and tries to offer Cass a bottle. Cass is like, I don't want that. Where she go? So he keeps looking all over the club for her and finally realizes that she probably left. So he checks outside and he sees her about a half a block away. He catches up to her and she's heated. He comes with, I wasn't trying to hurt you. And she assures him that she was not hurt. But she's clearly pissed and insulted that he would even try to go there with her like that. So she gave him a sarcastic, thank you for everything. Just that she has to catch a flight in the morning. So she's out anyway. And it's, yeah, it's time for her to go. Intriguing right? A flight. So that's why she don't have no crew and she's just out there. It's really just her. She's not from there. At this point, you can see the text from her phone coming up on the screen or popping up on the screen. And it's like, where are you? You said you'd be back on Sunday and it's Tuesday. So clearly both of them have a lot going on, a lot on their minds other than just a night out at the club. So he's clearly disappointed that she's leaving and asks her what she's going to do, how she's going to get to wherever she needs to go. And she brushes him off with a, I'll manage. And he keeps trying to convince her to stay by saying things indirectly like, you just some, you just going to go back to the lame ass Midwest? Is that where you're from? You a Midwest girl? Her face was everything, like really she goes in on him by saying, you a 30-something-year-old club promoter who knows all the girls. So they're having like a low-key argument already and they just met. Meanwhile, her phone is still buzzing with texts like, don't ignore me. So Cass went all the way after she hit him with the old promoter jab. He came back with the, I run this town. You lucky I got you in the club. You were sitting on the curb. I got you in the club. Why he say that? That was it. Fuck you. The classic fuck you. So he comes back with the, I tried, remember? And then he walks away mad and he's mumbling to himself. I can't say enough about the cinematography in this movie. The way he 
the way the camera captures key aspects of every scene, the facial expressions, the hand gestures, the camera focal points, it was really dope. His frustration was palpable. He did not want to walk away from her for nothing in the world, but no is no. He kept looking back, stopping, searching for more to say, but he was searching within himself in his anger and his frustration. And he was struggling to find the right words. After all, he was the man. He is the man in L.A. Everybody loves Cass. And he was nice to her. So he takes a little break between her and going back in the club. And he sits on the curb, how ironic, himself. Just for a second, he's back in deep thought. Until he hears guys like calling. And he turns around, he looks, and they're grabbing on her. Two white guys. So he runs back that way. And he's kind of, um, and they come out of their mouth like, what, this is your pimp? And at that point, Free is super heated. And she's yelling at them like, who the fuck you think you are? So the white guy comes back at her with, who the fuck you think you are? Yelling in right in her face. And then he turns to Cass and pushes him. Of course, Cass punches him in the face and they start brawling or whatever. So the two white guys jumping Cass, she's trying to get them off uh, Cass. Two police officers come running up, two white police officers. And they didn't do nothing to the white boys. Grab Cass up, had him up on the wall with the um, billy club on his throat. And the two white guys got to run away. So they holding Cass right there. She's trying to tell them, them, that's, they're the ones who attacked me. He tried to help me. So they held Cass up against the wall the whole time. She's telling them what happened. And um, they just finally believed what she said and just walked away. No charges were pressed. They just walked away. Cass was very visibly shaken after the incident. And his mouth was bloody. You could feel the tension of the moment coming off the screen. Only to be broken by a young man walking. Like, I guess he was on his way to the spot, too. And he was like, yo, you Cass? So now Cass just got assaulted. He almost, like, walking in circles a little bit, trying to figure out, like, yo, what just happened? And this young man is admiring him. And Cass was like, nah, I'm not. I'm not Cass. So the young man was like, you got to be or you his twin. And he just keeps going on and on about how much he admires the filmmaking that Cass has put out into the world. And he says that Cass is his inspiration and who he aspires to be like. And he tells them that he also goes to USC where Cass um, graduated from and that his film is still showing at the school. And then he asks him about the same movie that the woman in the club asked Cass about, like, when are we going to see it? When is it coming out? Gas is very distracted, trying his best to be polite to the young man. Meanwhile, dealing with, you know, just being assaulted by two police officers, even though he was the one doing the right thing, trying to protect a black woman while her two assailants were allowed to just run away. He brushes the kid off politely, telling him he looks like a bright kid and he needs to keep at it. Stay in school. All the cliche right words, right? So as the young man walks away, you can see him fighting his tears back hard. Stay in school. He did all that. He did all of the things he was supposed to do. 
just to still be up against the wall with the police baton pressed against his esophagus. So the mental struggle was real in that moment. Free comes up behind him to try to offer him comfort and nurturing, trying to help ease his pain. He keeps turning his head away from her so she can't see the tears that he's fighting back. The tears like truly trying to form in his eyes. He got to like swallow them down. It's like a real fight. So she starts asking him about the film that the young man was talking about, but he keeps saying it's nothing. She tries to bring the conversation to something positive by asking him if she can see his film. He's still real deep in dealing with his bloody lip and his humiliation of the moment, and he tells her no. She keeps asking him, and he keeps telling her no. It's a very frustrated no at a a certain point, and he begins making his way back to the club. He tells her, yo, I'm about to head out. I'm going to tell Rock I'm out. You can stay with him if you want to, but I'm out. At that moment, she realizes that she needs to be soft with him not to change the subject, not to make him not think about it, but let's face it together. So she pulls him to her gently, looking into his eyes, but he can't look back into her eyes. He's just so very hurt and humiliated, and his lip is busted and just bleeding. So she holds his face in between her two hands, even though he tries to pull away a little bit, not hard or rough, just a little bit. And she gently touches his face in the ways he needs to be touched. She invites him to sit with her on the curb for a minute. Kind of like cool the situation down and catch their breath and feel their emotions. So he sits with her and they are silent together, processing a lot. In that moment, he decides to order a lift and then checks the election updates on his phone before finally, finally apologizing for what he did in the bathroom, trying to go too far with her. The lift pulls up and she asks him, asks him where he's going. And he says, anywhere but here. And she responds with, let's go. So they get in the lift and it's driven by an Arabic looking man who asks how they're doing. Cass is quiet. Free responds with, it's been a tough night. The election uh, results are playing out on the radio as they ride. Cass's face is twisted up in all kinds of tough emotions. She says thank you and breaks him out of his days for a moment as he answers, for what? She responds with, that was cute, which he does not like, stating he's a grown-ass man. What she's trying to do is make the moment light by saying, you can't be cute. And he's fully serious, shaking his head no. She takes a deep breath. Understandably so, a lot of heaviness is going on all around and within them. The radio is naming all the states being won by the Republican Party as the night moves on, adding even more heaviness to the air. Cass's phone pings as Rock finally realizes he left and shoots him a text. Rock 
quickly gets over the fact that his boy left because he's still with all the lovely ladies and now he has all of their attention just on him. She finally gives him a substantial thank you. Thank you for fighting for me. He responds like the grown-ass man he is. You're welcome. It's the least I could do. The driver notices Cass's bloody lip and offers him some napkins, which Cass declines, saying he's fine. The driver digs in, asking what happened. Free answers for Cass, ignorance, and advises there's no need to talk about it further. Exchanging glances with Cass, like, yo, is he really asking? You know, like, mind your business, just drive. But the driver keeps pushing with he knows all about that kind of stuff, ignorance. Cass's fury came out fast. Like, what you know about my pain? The driver speaks about being raised Muslim and his mom is black and his cousins are put on the no-fly list. Free is just listening to the pain of these two men, a black man in America, an Arabic man in America. Shit is deep. Cass speaks to having to wake up and act like this kind of shit doesn't happen, didn't happen. He lets his frustration out verbally. Shit ain't okay. It's not okay. No, the fucking shit ain't okay. Cass is still getting texts from the club his boy doesn't want to let a specific woman in, but then he sees her and says she's looking good. Fluff stuff that Cass is completely ignoring. The driver is talking about, I'm sorry, the radio is talking about Trump has always had money and has never known, truly known poor people, middle class people, working class people. He's never known you. He's never cared about you. And what I liked about that part of the movie, the election night was like another character, but it wasn't like a person. The election night was personified and it was interjecting and it had lines too. And I liked that interjection of the news flashes via the phone pings and the radio news alerts indirectly affecting the energy, the heaviness of the night. Cass is still saying he's fine every time she asks, but eventually he starts saying that he's not really fine, but he's fine. He's dealing with the swirl of emotions within him, and it's all showing up on his face, and he just comes out with, I'm tired of the same old shit. Every city, same old shit. I'll say that the 2016 election brought out some things that some people in America claim they've never seen before. And maybe they have never seen it before. But the truth is, none of it is new. None of it. The racist overtones, the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer aspects of American life, election to election... Same shit, different actors. Right after the line where he says, every city, same old shit, the newscaster says he only, and this came out real clear, like a lot of times what they were talking about in the movie as far as the election night was kind of, you had to strain to hear it. But this part was very clear. The news on the radio said right after, 
Um, every city, same old shit. He only cares now because he wants your vote. And if he wins tonight, you're going to find out very soon that his interests are not yours. Cass tells Free, welcome to LA. And she chuckles, shit, welcome to America. (laughs) Now that's facts. They finally let go of the stuff outside of their time together. And he asks her a direct question. What do you want? What do you really want? She takes his question lightly, like, what does it matter? This is real life. Nobody gets what they really want. The artist in him woke up then. Like, who told you that? Society? So she responds, but her family, mom, dad, sisters, everybody, he challenges her as a grown woman. You mean to tell me your mom, your dad, your sister, society tells you what you can and cannot have? So she comes back at him using her mom's life as an example of the need to be a responsible grown woman. She lets him know she's a lawyer and she makes real good money. The conversation gets deep and now it's her turn to deny her feelings and run away from talking about what she's feeling. He shares his occupation as a film director to help her feel more at ease, but she does everything she can do to avoid the topic he's trying to dig into with her. So he let it go. Soon as he let it go, here she goes, still talking about it. How well she's doing financially and she's very responsible. And so he keeps pushing her to get into what she really wants to do. She pushes back, asking him if he's really going after his dream. Finally, she says she's wanted to be a DJ. Well, when she was younger, before she became a lawyer, she wanted to be a DJ. Which he laughed, which I was surprised at a DJ, a lawyer, a DJ. Um, But she explained that music moves people. It makes them think. It makes them take a break from what's pressing them. And it lets them have fun for a little while. And the artist in him fully understood that artist that does live in her as well. The thing is... Without money, none of what they were able to do that night would have been possible. So that's the reality of it all. Finding a balance between passion and art, as well as practicability and responsibility, because it all has its place. Nakib, the driver, the driver's name is Nakib, gets in on the conversation and Everything's been significantly lightened up by the discussion about her DJing and her music. And um, I love the line that he um, said here, that Cass said here, because they were um, pulling out her headphones and he was getting ready to listen to her mixtape. And he said, I have little ears, but hopefully your music is big. I love that line. So while he's listening to her music, her ex texts kept coming through and he saw the text popping up, popping up, popping up. So she let him know that she's not with that guy anymore. And she told him, like, you know, you fought for me the first day we met. He only he only ever <coughs> excuse me. You fought for me the first day we met. 
He only ever fought me. He's only fighting for me now because I'm gone. And that's a hell of a first date. So at that point, their second kiss happens, which is very soft and very sweet and not rushed and frantic like at the club. He takes off his jacket and places it around her shoulders as they take in the scenery above the city. Um, so at this point, there they had pulled up to the mansion that they were going to. It was a, a mansion party at a friend's house. But it was like like a regular like a party party or a club party. It was like industry people getting together and talking about industry things. So you see a lot, a few for real famous people in the room. And um, right before they went in, this is where they had their second kiss, the soft kiss overlooking the city. And then they look up and the moon, a full moon, is shining. So like I said, they pull up to the house and um, he introduces her as free and they're like, everybody knows him. Everybody knows him. So he goes off to the kitchen for a second to fix them some drinks. So this at this point, she's going to take a drink. So he's off in the kitchen and he pulls up his movie on his phone and you can see the last time his movie was played was four years ago, even though he's pushing her to be free and live her dream. It's been four years since he even played his movie, even looked at the movie. He's he's his dream, you know, but he's criticizing her. Meanwhile, she's back. Something's going on with the election and <laughs> free just came in that room. She don't know any of those people, but she turned the TV off, plugged up her aux cord, and is trying to get them to listening to listen to her music. Nobody there knows her. So they're like, Casio, come and get your girl. What is she doing? So she's trying to tell them that they need to take a break from all the political news. And they're arguing arguing with her that it's history going on. And she's saying we need to be thinking about our own history. We need to think about life. And she's trying to play one of the DJ mixes with them. And they get into it for a minute um, because Cass does not come and get her. But instead, when he comes out of the kitchen, he grabs one of the women um, that he knows and he starts dancing with her, which encourages other people to get into doing it as well, dancing and vibing. And the whole vibe throughout the house almost changed fully, but her ex kept texting and calling her phone and interrupting the music. So she cut it off, which made the whole house aggravated with her again. Um, (laughs) The house goes back to watching the election night news and her and Cass make their way up to the rooftop. And... um, this is the part where she he was getting ready to show her his movie, the movie that he hasn't played in four years. But her ex kept texting and calling. So uh, she decides to, um, he decides to tell her, you like, go ahead, just go ahead and take that phone call. He overhears the frustrated conversation she has with her ex And he decides not to share his movie with her. He starts talking about the flight she got to take. And this is, you know, I guess this is where our time ends together. 
So she starts asking him about the film that everybody wants to see. Like, what are you doing? Show me the film. What are you doing? And he's clearly very fearful that he's falling for her. And he's fearful that she's still very connected to the man who keeps calling her phone every few minutes. She's questioning his, questioning her. As as if he's fully free. You questioning me about not following my dreams. Are you fully free? And living your dream while you're criticizing me for not living mine. And so she goes in on him by saying, I think the closest you've been to being free is trying to fuck a girl named Free in the club bathroom, which made both of them pause. That pause was filled with too much truth. She had to say sorry. She brought up the college student who approached Cass just after the altercation, brought up just how much Cass's work meant to that young man. She gave Cass his question back to him. What do you really want? What happened? He gave us such a real answer. Nothing happened. Everything is always happening. I get tired of fighting every day. I fight every day. That's my occupation. That's what happened. This movie speaks to the depth of healing the black community truly needs worldwide. So Cass and Free sit with the emotion of his words for a few moments and let it wash over them. And then he brings up her ex and how much her ex is affecting her in a negative way. Now it's Cass's turn to touch Free's face the way she needs to be touched, comforted and cared for as she fights back her tears. They embrace and love is flowing between them and is beautiful on the rooftop above the city of LA under the light of the full moon in each other's supportive, caring embrace. Beautiful. They were holding each other as they heard, oh my God, he did not just win. The shocked screams coming from below them as the news spread through the house. Free shakes her head in disbelief. They take each other's hands and move through the house on their way out. People in That house are very upset, and many are leaving, but to those who stayed, Cass gave a little speech about, we all know what it's like to fight. We've all fought before. Everybody knows what it's like to struggle, to struggle to be loved, to love, to work, to be free. So we're still fighting, right? Tonight just means there is still more work to do. One of the people in the room called Cass out. That means you too, right? You got more work to do too, right? And that line is for all of us. For real. Me too. Word. Real work that we all know you can do. Word. Cass and Free head out. To their surprise, Naqib, the driver, was still there. He didn't feel safe to drive while the... Election results 
the final election results were being reported. He said he got stuck listening to the election results and would have been a danger on the road. He was in his feelings about Trump's presidency as well. He offers them a free ride. No need to order the lift. They make their way to Mel's Diner. It's a lot to process as they ride and listen to the opinions of newscasters reporting on the Trump presidency. It makes Free reflect on her job as a lawyer, how her firm represents bad people and how too many bad people are winning. The car radio is speaking to lying, hateful violence. She repeats, too many bad people winning. Car radio. And I'm afraid. Now, that's big in the American playbook of policies and procedures. Fear is big in the American mindset. It's like American apple pie. Keeping people afraid of something, anything. That's where powerlessness lives in the fear zone. Hopelessness as well. Cass's reflection is about children and specifically his own son. They turn to each other and say, it's nice to meet you. And they've been through all kinds of ups and downs. Very, very, very memorable first night together. They're on their way to Mel's Diner and this will be kind of like their first date because this is definitely a love story. The camera pans down to their closeness and him rubbing her knee as he says, he's starting to remember his why, his why for being a filmmaker so the good people could win for once. Nakib drops them off and they part ways with him and enter Mel's diner. Cass asks to be seated in the closed off section, which they are allowed to do. And you can see the fires from, um, there's, like flame, what would you call it? Like lamps, but not light bulbs. There's flames where a light bulb would be and it's outside of the diner. And you can see the flames flickering in the photographs all around Mel's diner. Never been there, never been to LA, but like a lot of American places, it's like all the memories of what Trump era would call make America great again. Trump minded people, you know, back to pre-civil rights era, I suppose, the 50s, the 40s and 50s. And so you see um, those photos on the wall in their booth where they're sitting, but there's flames also in those photos. That was a nice touch. I like that. And um, he finally shares his film with her and he watches her face with such intensity as she takes in his art, his work, his dream, the anxiousness of an artist. Sharing his soul outside of himself is written all over his face. Will she like it? Will she love it? Will she hate it? Will she understand it? Will she accept it? Is it good enough? When she's done watching it, she can't accept anything less than him putting it out now, into the world now. She pushes and pushes and pushes him to get it done, put it out so the world can see it. And she says that it needs to be seen. Art is our voice 
art is important. We, we got our voice. We got what we put into the world. We can inspire. We can change things. She goes so far as to say that if he sends that movie out to where it needs to go, she will cancel her flight and stay in L.A. He is so vulnerable, just staring into her eyes, looking for reassurance. When she repeats that she will cancel her flight, quit her job, and stay in L.A. for real, he moves out of his side of the booth and slides into her side of the booth right next to her and holds his hand, his phone in his hand. Well, they both hold their phones in their hands because she has to cancel her flight once he sends that movie. So they're both sitting there with the phones in their hands and he does the countdown. One, two, three. Whoosh. And they turn to each other and the camera begins to back away from watching their life together as it begins. And the very last shot is the full moon above the diner. A boy, a girl, a dream, love on election night. Beautiful movie, superbly done. Word, melanated movie Monday.